And now for part two of the interview with John Vampatella, author of The 53rd Man. Well, as long as we're talking about books, let's talk about The 53rd Man, because we've been talking about people being traded. Uh, I'm thinking about you know, baseball, how many different minor league teams there are. So you've got 26 on your roster. You have probably another 120 or more in the minor leagues. But your new book, The 53rd Man, covers a different sport, but one with as much uh, drama and tension, I think, is baseball plus. So can you give us kind of some insight into The 53rd Man and what that means? Sure. I appreciate the opportunity to do so. Uh, so baseball has always been my first love, but I'm a big football fan as well. And so I, I work at the University of Connecticut with student athletes, and one of the guys who I spent a lot of time with was a wide receiver uh, named Jeremy Davis. He he finished his time at UConn. He was, uh, at the time, a record-setting receiver for the school. He got drafted in the sixth round by the Giants and ended up uh, having a five-, six-year NFL career. And he was always a what you would call a fringe player, a bubble guy, right, on the bubble of, of making the team or not making the team or making the team but being put on the practice squad because football doesn't have minor leagues. They've got this this practice squad of kind of extra guys that they keep around. And, and that was the, really the gist of his five, six year NFL career, which if you think about it, it's pretty awesome. Like to be a pro athlete for five or six years is amazing. Of course, he wish he would have had a bigger role on the team and a bigger paycheck from the team, but uh, he had, you know, he had an actual NFL career and he became a special teams ace for them. But I got thinking about what life was like for him as a guy who who was just doing what he could to stay in the league, to to stay a pro football player. And he had to put an incredible amount of work. He had to get some lucky breaks here and there. He had to have some doors open for him. Um, And at the end of the day, his career got cut short because of injuries. Uh, He had bad hamstrings. But his story is pretty pretty cool to, to listen to him talk about his life as a as a bubble guy as a, as a 53rd man uh, um that I titled it because it's like the last guy in the NFL roster and and then that led me to several other several other players the most well known of which is Matthew Slater of the Patriots uh, who became an all pro uh, coming out of UCLA but for early on in his career he was just like Jeremy he was a 53rd guy he was a special teams guy and you know he had to be incredible at it in order to make a team and and so this book is about those guys. It's about the guys who are just fighting to make it in the NFL. In the book, you hear these guys talk about dealing with injuries, dealing with being traded, dealing with being cut. I have a great story with a, uh, a guy named Austin Carr who was undrafted. He thought he was going to be drafted. He was in college his senior year. He was a Big Ten's um, <clears throat> leading receiver. He was the wide receiver of the year in the in the conference and thought he would get drafted and didn't get drafted. But he got picked up by the Patriots went through camp and then was the last guy cut. So I have a great scene of him in the, in, in Bill Belichick's office when Belichick cuts him. Right. And it's just, it's a tough, it's a tough read because it's like, man, this guy's dreams just got shattered, but he ended up getting picked up by the saints, ended up playing with Drew Brees for a few years. Pretty cool. So it's, it's a really neat football book uh, where you learn about the lives and life of, of, of the guys who are just trying to make it as pro athletes and what they go through and, and the faith they have to have to to overcome uh, and resiliency to overcome challenges and injuries and 
bad breaks and and all that sort of stuff. Uh, it's it's a really interesting uh, read, a good insight into the life of of NFL players. I, I had a blast writing it, uh, and I think it's a fun read. It sounds exciting. You know, I always wondered though. You're talking about the 53rd man and the injuries and such that come with that. Do the teams look at players who are in the 53rd position or in the whatever in the as those as far as maintaining health? Is there the same level of attention to those players as there are to, like, say, the first 10? Well, uh, yeah, there's a saying you can't make the club from the tub, which is if you're if you're injured, it's hard to be on the team. Now, uh, uh, let me go back in time. In 2008, Tom Brady, who at the time best best quarterback in the game, he he uh, first first game of the year against they, they had just lost the Super Bowl to the Giants. They lost their perfect season, but they still had a great team coming back in 2008. And this was Matthew Slater's rookie year. Um, so he shows up. He's excited to make the Patriots. And Tom Brady blows out his knee in the first quarter of the first game of the season. OK, so he's out for the rest of the year. Now, do you think Tom Brady's job was in jeopardy uh, at that point? Of course not. Right? They're going to they're going to let him sit out the year and hopefully have him all healed up for 2009. But if you were a 53rd man and you got hurt, I mean, they, they give you the same level of medical care, but if you get hurt, they will toss you aside um, because they need somebody to fill that role. And as a 53rd, you know, Tom Brady's not replaceable. Right. Patrick Mahomes is not replaceable. Uh, Travis Kelsey's not replaceable. But, but, the 53rd man very much is replaceable. They play a valuable role on the team, but they're replaceable parts as replaceable as, as anybody could be in a sporting environment. So, so if you have a lingering injury, they'll just cut you and, and then they'll bring somebody else in. So there's a lot of pressure on guys who are in this situation to play hurt, to play injured, because they realize if I miss a considerable amount of time, I'm probably going to lose my job. Right. So one of the guys who I, I spent some time talking with is a guy named Marcel Aitman, who came out of Oklahoma State, played for a few years on the for the Raiders. And uh, one, one preseason, he breaks his finger in a preseason game return. Okay, well, he was a wide receiver. So he, he I, I broke his finger, his hand. Anyway, I think it was his hand. Anyway, he <clears throat> so he breaks it and he's out for a considerable amount of time. And at the end of that season, he got cut. And I said, and I asked him, I said, Marcel, do you think your injury cost you the job? And he laughed and he's like, well, I don't know for sure, but it sure didn't help. Yeah. Right. And because he was unavailable. And if you're unavailable, they have no real need for you. If you're the 53rd man, the Tom right. Brady's, you know, the Patrick Mahomes, they'll wait for you. No problem. But, but for 53rd man, there's a lot of pressure. So, so <clears throat> interesting story about that. Jeremy Davis playing with the Giants. He his lingering issue was hamstring issues. And one time he he was with the Giants, he had a hamstring issue and he was he went in the uh in the the trainer's room and Tom Coughlin who was the coach at the time said, "What are you doing in there?" and he was afraid to tell him he was hurt. And Coughlin was basically saying, "I better not see you in there." You know, and mm -hmm. and and so mm -hmm. Jeremy said from that point on Unless I had a serious injury, I was never going to go into the trainer's room again. Wow. I was just going to deal with my injuries on my own. And I'm like, boy, what pressure to have to deal with because you fear you're going to get cut, right? It, no guaranteed contracts. Uh, it's, it's a much different animal than baseball, for example.
You talk about faith, too, being a part of the process. Maybe it's the wrong word. How does faith intervene for them in their lives? How does that something that they gets helps get them through this process? Well, of course, a lot of players um, don't really um, have much by way of religious faith, and that's fine. Um, but some for some of these guys, it's a really important part of who they are. Uh, Matthew Slater, for example, is is one of those guys who who uh, grew up in a in a strong Christian home. His father, uh, Jackie Slater, uh, NFL Hall of Famer, uh, raised him as a, as a as a, in a Christian family. And so for him, his faith has always been an important part of just his understanding of what it means to be human, what it means to be a man. And so whether he was going through struggles at UCLA or challenges in the pros, you know, he would he would just say, I have to trust God with this. And and uh, it, it certainly for for guys who who are believers, I'll use that word, their faith is really so helpful it, it helps them get through the hard times and yeah. it gives them something to celebrate when things are going well. <clears throat> I know that everybody, everybody who's listening to you, um, everyone who's listening to us right now has gone through hard things. Yeah, It could be a family thing. Uh, we just lost a family member um, uh, recently. It was just at a funeral. You know, it, it's super hard, right? There's, you lose jobs, you lose uh, loved ones, you, you go through financial struggles, whatever. And, and then it's like, what, how are you going to get through that? And for these guys, um, not for all of them, but for some of the guys I highlight in the book, um, they really, really trust that God has a plan for them and that it really does give them a sense of peace and contentment in the midst of trials and struggles and challenges. And um, you notice it, like you notice the difference between people who are constantly stressed out while dealing with the same things that these other guys are versus guys who can who can walk through those situations with a sense of peace and confidence and contentment and it's really because of their of their faith yeah i have to believe that with that faith it it allows their imagination their faith to break beyond what seems apparent for so many other people the the imagination being that this moment that i see right now there's something beyond it. And if you put that, I know, in in, uh, in your hands, God, you know, that sort of thing, as far as approach to it, that there has to be a relief off of the shoulders and just attention to what needs to be done to get there. So, well, I'm glad to hear yeah. that. You know, I, I always, I, I've seen, like yourself, I've seen folks from both sides of that. You know, there you see one person who's stressed to that degree, another one says, well, I put it in God's hands. You know, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and do the work that I need to do. And after that, you know, that's it. We'll just, we'll make it work. Yep. Yep. That's exactly how these guys approach it. They're like, you know what? God has, there's a reason for this. And, and maybe God's got something to teach me through it. Um, I mean, just on a different level, this is not a sports issue, but my youngest daughter uh, was diagnosed two days before her freshman year of high school with, we may have talked about this in the past, with uh, type 1 diabetes. And and it threw her into this world and threw us into this world of uncertainty and how are we supposed to handle this? And 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 we knew nothing about diabetes and it's a, it's a terrible, awful condition to have. And if managed correctly, <clears throat> you know, a person can live and do all kinds of things like everybody else can do, but if it's not managed well, it'll kill you or it'll, it'll certainly give you serious harm. And, and so we were put in the same kind of position. How are we going to go on an everyday basis, uh, dealing with 
dealing with the fact that our daughter had type one diabetes and, and it came for us, it came back to the faith question as well. Are we going to, are we going to trust God with this? Are we going to believe that God has a plan for us, for her in this moment? And more remarkably than my wife and I <clears throat> having that is, is seeing how my daughter reacted to this. And, and from day one, <clears throat> day one, she put it in God's hands and was like, look, if this is what, this is what is in store for me, then I'll trust God with it and I'll, and I'll live with it. And she was 13 years old when, when, when she was diagnosed, I'm like this 13 year old kid. So honestly, my daughter has been an incredible inspiration for me to know how to handle hardship. You know, it's been a pretty, I, I don't, I don't wish she had it. No, don't get me wrong. No, I wish I she did not. But, but seeing her deal with it and seeing her, I'll use the phrase walk with God in this, um, has been incredible for me as a dad to yeah. watch her. Um, she's a remarkable person, but, but that's, they don't, some of these athletes don't have diabetes, but they suffer a torn ACL or the, you know, whatever, like all kinds of things. And they have to ask themselves the same question. The easy, <clears throat> the easy question is why me? Like, why do I have to go through it? And what, what people who really have strong faith typically ask is, all right, God, like, what are you trying to do in my life and through my life, given this thing that I now have? Yeah. And so it's just a different way of of viewing it. And um, for some of these guys, it's been it's been the anchor that's held them together in their pro career. Wow. Well, <laughs> thank you, John, for sharing so much in the personal stories and uh, kudos to you and your family, man. That's, I say, a very, very difficult time and nobody ever wishes for those things, but how people face these things, it can, it can strengthen them and, you know, and should be proud of your daughter as well. She's had that kind of mindset and, and faith to take her there. So uh, God bless you and your, your family. And uh, I won't say God bless your Red Sox. You can- <laughs> <laughs> right, that's where I draw the line. I won't go that far, you know, <laughs> that's where we got to cut it off. Well, I appreciate that, Mark. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's, you know, it's been a journey. Everyone's got their own stuff. Um, that's our stuff. And, um, you know, it's been neat to, it's been neat to walk through it with our, with our, it's been a whole family issue, right? Like, because it's not just my daughter, Julia, that's had to deal with it. It's everyone's been a, a part of the team to help her with it, especially years ago when she was first diagnosed and we had a lot more of our kids at home. Uh, now they're all, they're all grown and gone, but, but it's still a team effort. And, and um, I think it's brought us together as a family. So again, I don't wish she had it, but there have been some, some tangible uh, blessings that have come as a result it certainly hasn't helped my Red Sox, <clears throat> you know, which is a bummer, but, and you're raised by the way, when they started off this year, I was looking at a record setting season oh, yeah. and yeah, what's happened. What's I don't know, on? brother. I was looking at that big, big 100 plus number. I was funny. I had to, had Matt Jermaine on here, and I, th- I think I said 102. I think he said 108. And my gosh, where did those guys find a basement in in July? I saw one number somewhere in the middle of all that that they won six and lost 16 in a stretch. And I was like, is there a reason they could just get a shovel, dig it out, and Tropicana Field and build that hole? Because the bats went silent. I mean, there's injuries. Everybody has injuries. So I'm always like, yeah, 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 yeah. Anybody else has injuries. I just kind of blow them off because we did as well. And geez, uh, I don't know. I mean, the bats are starting to warm up a bit, but the injuries are still, still there. Shane McClanahan pitched like crap the other day and is at something with his 
forearm. Tyler Glass now had something with his back the other day, and I'm just like, can it get any more interesting than this? I really right. hope not. But right. <laughs> we'll see. And and again, I, I I salute the Orioles and all that they're doing. And as much as yep. I want to see my boys on top, I can't help but see uh, fantastic for them, things for them ahead. And you know what I love the most? I mean, if we take a quick look at uh, today's uh, playoff brackets, Mm-hmm-hmm. Let's see in the AL. Who do we see? Oh, here's Toronto. Yeah, here's Tampa Bay. Yeah. Oh, and then there's a guy with a seat, the Baltimore. So of the of yeah. all of those spots, of the six spots, we got three from the AL East. And I'm enjoying every moment of that. Yeah, it's really, it's really fun. It's 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 fun. Um, and that's the thing though, it's it's a long baseball scene is a long time, right? And you're gonna experience you know, stretches where they're great. The Red Sox were awesome in July and then they started just went right in the tank, you know, in August. Um, the Rays had their down month. Uh, they're going to be fine. They're very, very good. Um, uh, you'll be happy with the end result <clears throat> of the season. Of course, I know you want to see a World Series uh, championship and you might get it, but even if you don't, it's been a, another highly successful year for Tampa. Um, um, they're just a good franchise. Uh, I don't know how much more time we got, but I want to ask you one other question. Yeah, go ahead. Um, so this is a question of a few of my buddies and I were batting around. Um, I know his career is, <clears throat> is not long enough for the full evaluation of this, but has there ever been a better baseball player than Otani? Oh gosh, man. No, you know what? I, I had a gentleman on here a couple of years ago asked me, well, who do you think is the best? He says, Mike Trout, right? I said, no, it's the right team. <laughs> I said, but no. Oh, Otani, my gosh. Yeah. I mean, people are always saying, well, he's he's going to break Babe Ruth's record and all these other things. And they're, they're going to break Maris's record. You hear all these things with the judge and all the rest of them over time. But my gosh, an overall player. And Otani left the mound the other day because – he was wasn't having some kind of difficulty, but they put him in as the DH after that, and right, he right. performs, brother. Right. He just absolutely performs. Yeah, no, he, he's uh, he's got the stamp, man. He's got the stamp for the the century, and all those who came before, who we put up on pedestals, uh, they'll still be there. But this guy's going to have spotlights everywhere on top of his pedestal. So, yeah, I, I, I just I, I know Babe Ruth obviously was a great pitcher. And then he became a great hitter, but he, he only for like a year kind of really overlapped those things, you mm -hmm. know, it, the time where he was really doing them both. Otani is an elite hitter and an elite pitcher at the same time. It's, it's, it's never happened before in baseball. He's never, we've never seen this. And, and uh, he's, he's awesome at both. He's, he's good on the bases. He, He's a fearsome at the plate. You know, he dominates on the mound. I mean, he is, it's, it's incredible to watch. And, and I'm wondering if more players, you mentioned Verdugo. He, he apparently was a really good pitcher uh, back in his day and he wants to try both. Now, I don't know if the Red Sox will let him, but, but um, I wonder if you'll start to see more guys because most, usually through high school, your best players are pitchers, right? right. They're, they're the best athletes. They 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 pitch and they hit, and they get weeded out in college where you tend to not do both. And then by the time you hit the pros, of course, you're only doing one. But for a long time, usually the best players are also pitchers. And so I wonder if more guys are going to start to insist on, on doing both. 
uh, based on Otani. We might see it. We might see a trend. I bet there are more guys who can probably do it. Maybe not at his level, but there are probably more guys who can do some of both, right? Um, like let's say, let's say you had a yeah, a, you know, a shortstop who who also was a pretty good pitcher, and he spent some time in the pros working on that craft. So it's like you now have a 14th pitcher in the bullpen. You know what I mean? It's not like throwing oh, yeah. just a position player on the mound. It's like, no, he's legit. Like he can actually pitch. Now I just wonder if you'll start to see some of that happen more and more. I, I mean, that would be exciting. And if a player's already in the league and performing well, and somebody wants to keep them, you know, maybe that's part of their negotiation process you know, whether they're actually coming in even at a collegiate level, but certainly by free agency time. But my right. gosh, man, I know one of the things I'd written down here was to talk about the, the angels and the trade and, you know, that he, there's no way Artie Moreno was going to put him out there. He said, nope, 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 nope. And, you know, it's twofold. One, the talent of Otani is immeasurable. And what he's going to, what he can do for them is only so much. I think they're actually under 500 today, which blows my mind when I think yeah. about it. But and I, I'm sitting here and I'm saying, what are you going to do, Artie, to keep him? You know, even if you want to spend the money once he's a free agent, what are you going to do to make that team strong enough to be playoff ready? And under right. 500 ain't going to do it. And Otani wants to win. He wants to win right. as a team. I, th I think right. he's he's a great leader for the team he has, but it ain't it. Yeah. I mean, they've been through this with Trout, right? The bet they've had the best player in the game for a long time and they haven't won anything. Now they have two of the best players in the game and they still haven't won anything. At some point you have to build a quality team. Um, but I mean, he's looking at a $500 million contract, probably something like that. I mean, it's going to be nuts what he, what he gets. And I wouldn't blame a team at all for completely breaking the bank to sign him because it, it is risky putting that much money in one guy as we saw with Scherzer and <clears throat> and Verlander but but here's a guy who's a prime athlete in the prime of his life uh he's still pretty young uh, and but he gives you the ace pitcher and the ace hitter at the same time and um and he's an incredible draw right i can't imagine how much merchandise he would sell if he was wearing a yankee jersey or whatever you know <clears throat> oh gosh if that happens i'm gonna be so upset but uh that's another conversation for 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 the off season but um i i love this guy he's he's a he's exciting to watch watch him in the world baseball classic was so much fun yeah. uh he's he's a joy to watch and and uh you know a, a credit to him for what he's been doing i hope he makes a ton of money and um i would love to see him wearing a Red Sox jersey, to be perfectly honest with you, I, I would like to see them go for that. Well, maybe Henry and Bloom are hanging on to a few dollars just for that right now. Who knows? Yeah. <laughs> yep, <laughs> I don't, I don't, I don't think that's going to happen. Don't misunderstand. <laughs> but but uh, no. he's he's the one guy I would love to see them break the bank for. Well, I, I think anybody would make up twenty percent of on uh, merchandise in the first year on his contract. <laughs> like yep. you're saying, yep. oh man. Well, I can't thank you enough today, John, for being with us again, friend. I tell you. It's good to see you. It's good to hear how the world's treating you. And uh, wow, a 53rd man. I really encourage everybody to check that out. And as well as The Forgotten Game, two books by John that's you know sports-oriented and talks about the inner workings, talk about the mindset of people and what it takes to get through certain things. So I'm going to also, I'll put links at the bottom of the podcast for anybody who wants to find the book. I know it's just coming out August 9th. Is that the publish? Yes, yeah, tomorrow. Tomorrow, um, tomorrow brother. 
Yep, yep, yep. And okay. uh, and I can I can leave. I'll send you a discount code. So if people want to order directly from my publisher, they can get thirty percent off the the book, which is uh, which is cool. All right, man. Well, thank you, John. I appreciate it, buddy. It's been great having you on here today. Thanks, Mark. Always good to talk to you, buddy. We uh, we got to do it again soon. Well, you bet. You bet. You've been listening to Baseball Biz on Deck. I'm Mark Carpenter, host, and with me was John Vampatella. And again, check out the book, 53rd Man. Uh, thank you all for joining us. Look forward to talking with you all soon. You can find us, of course, on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, you name it. We're out there. And BaseballBizOnDeck.com. So all thank you for all that. And special thanks to X-Take RUX for the music rocking forward.